But Father in heaven, uh, I pray that your word would be uh, real, fresh, um, awakening to us today. uh, That it would be powerful in our lives to draw us near to to you through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, That is our hope, that is our prayer. We know that it is your heart as well that we fellowship with you. Please enable that in these moments. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Turn please to Hebrews in chapter 10. I want to read verses 19 through 22. Hebrews in chapter 10 please. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19. Hear the word of God. Therefore brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Um, I want this morning, if God will help us, to focus attention just on this expression that we're to draw near. He says, let us draw near. Now, now his intent, obviously, is for us to draw near to God. That we're to draw near to God. That there's some sense in which we're to approach him, to come close to him, to fellowship with him. Some sense you get of, of, of intimacy with him is we draw near uh, to him. And since God is everywhere present, he isn't asking us to leave any one particular place Locationally, it's not about making a pilgrimage. It isn't even about uh, drawing near to him and close to him after we die. There's a sense in which he's saying there's a conscious coming close to God. There's a a conscious drawing near to him right now in the moment where you are. Wherever you happen to be reading this, it could have been on a bus or a train or at your home or in church uh, or wherever it happened to be, saying, draw near to God. And it appears to be that this has been uh, on the author of Hebrews' mind all along. I read this morning for our call to worship uh, out of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then in chapter 7, in verse uh, uh, 19, he writes, For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a perfect hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. So he's been thinking about this, thinking about our drawing near to God, consciously moving up close, if you will, approaching, having a sense of intimacy with God himself, to draw near to him, not to stay away, but to draw near to him. And then in verse 25 of chapter 7, he writes, Consequently, he, that is God, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Again, this drawing near because of Christ. And then in chapter 10 and verse 1, he puts it like this. He says, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. And so again, he's, he's, he's as his expectation that consciously we're going to move close to God. Consciously we're going to come into his presence. And he's going to continue this idea as well because in chapter 11 and verse 6 he writes this, 
And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so this is just on his mind. In fact, it appears to be a logical deduction from everything he's saying. It seems to be just just sort of, of course. Uh, Notice what he puts in verse 19 of chapter 10 that I read. He begins with the word, therefore. He's saying, you know, given all that I've said... Therefore, draw near to God. I mean, what else would you be thinking? I mean, if he had ended there, we would have all, should have, if we had been tracking with him, gone, okay, now it's time to draw near to God. Because that's the the next thing to say. The very next thing to say, to to draw near to him. Now, to be really honest with you, I'm not much for um, uh, New Year's resolutions. It's just not who I am. You can ask anybody who knows me. I'm just not a list person in any way, shape, or form, especially marking off one particular day of the year to think I should do something different. Uh, it passes by and I forget about it. Uh, 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 but if I were to suggest a New Year's resolution to me and to you, it would be draw near to God. Put that. Put that. I resolve to draw near to God, then put a little check mark by it so that it's automatically renewed every January 1, you see. Because this is a command of God, not a suggestion. He's commanding us, given what Christ has done, to draw near to him. Now, you draw near to people this next year in various ways, as well you should. In fact, for some of us, we may need to resolve to draw near to our spouse in a way that we haven't recently. Perhaps there's something, an estrangement there. There's not a closeness. So we go, I need to consciously love my husband, my wife, or draw near to my children, or draw near to my parents. Or maybe there's some friends that we've sort of left out of our lives and we need to say, I need to draw near. And perhaps there's some things that we need to draw away from. So there's this drawing closer and away from things all the time. But, but this one here is the one that God commands. He says, I want you to draw near to me. I want you to come close to me. I want you to enter my, my very presence. And you see, this is a logical conclusion, a logical deduction, a logical application from what he's talked about as Jesus, our high priest. Now, just as an aside, it's helpful for us to realize that theology, or truth, if you want to put it that way, always leads to application. It always leads to, to, to something. You know, truth by itself just, just makes us arrogant to, to know these things. And our desire and our goal in studying the scripture is never so we can be smarter than the next guy about God. None of us are all that smart next to God anyway. And so it's really kind of foolish. This is all aimed at something. And so all of this information that he's been giving to us and all of this assurance that we're getting by the information that he's giving to us about Jesus is to give us confidence to embrace God. To draw near to him. To not stay away from him. You see, the problem with the folks to whom the author of Hebrews is writing is a problem for us as well. It's easy to neglect the great salvation that we have. It's easy to just sort of take it for granted. It's easy to just sort of drift along. And then various things can happen in the course of our life, be they tragedy or whatever, that draws us again to him. But but the author of Hebrews is saying, no, 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 this is an ordinary thing. Drawing near to God. This is, this is a staple of life, drawing near to God. This is, this is part and parcel of everyday living. It shouldn't wait for something bad to happen. It shouldn't wait for something good to happen. It should just sort of be an ongoing life for us. 
to this drawing near to God. But the application of all of this must be based on truth as well. I mean, if all we have is truth, we'll just be arrogant. But if all we do is try to live something out without any truth behind it, then we're just self-righteous. We're just going on our own way. So he says, no, here's the truth. Now here's how to apply it. So he's been building all of this up so we'll have a foundation, a base upon which to live. And now he gives us that logical conclusion. He says, I want you to now draw near. And the way that we draw near, of course, the way that we draw near to God with confidence is through Christ. Notice how he puts it. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. He's saying it's, it's all through Christ. And you get a sense as you read the scripture, that this drawing near to God has been on his mind all the time. I mean, when he created Adam and Eve, there was a nearness in their relationship. The scripture says that God walked with Adam in the cool of the garden. I don't have any idea what that looked like. But you get this sense of intimacy, this sense of nearness between God and Adam. But then that sense of nearness was, was destroyed because of sin. Uh, there was no longer any nearness. Uh, God expelled Adam and Eve out of the garden and, 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 and there became then this hostility between God and human beings. From God's perspective, uh, we had sinned against him. We had rebelled against him. Thus his judgment would come against us. From our perspective, uh, God was a threat to us. We didn't want him in our lives because we wanted to go our own way. And so this nearness was, was gone. But then God made a promise. Right then, right at that moment, and he says, but I'm going to send one who will destroy the enemy and in a sense, by way of implication, bring this nearness back. And so God took the initiative. We ran and hid, but God took the initiative to bring this nearness to him back. That important to him was it. And so he comes to this man, Abraham. Abraham makes promises to him. He's going to have a people that will be near to him. And, and, and then these people get enslaved. And so he takes the initiative to, to, to send Moses so that the people would come near to him. And so he comes to Mount Sinai and, and Moses is the representative of the people can come near. And he gives them the system of worship so that they can draw near. But, but it isn't near near, is it? <laughs> it isn't nearly there. It isn't, it isn't all. The, it's it's this, this nearness by way of representation. This priest represents. The priest draws near to God on behalf of all the people. And you draw near in this priest. But that doesn't quite feel close enough. It doesn't seem like you're approaching God that closely. It's, it's through this other person. And there's this tabernacle that has rooms in it that you can't enter. Only priests can enter one section of it. And only the high priest can only enter the other section of it. And that's really where God is. I mean, that's the business end of the, of the tabernacle, the, the holy of holies. That only this high priest can go in. But you get this sense that God says, I'm drawing you to myself. I, I want you near to me. But at this point in history... You can only come to me through this priest and by way of this animal sacrifice. But then the author of Hebrews is saying this. Now Christ has come. It isn't anymore coming near to God through this priest, through this animal. It, it's coming near to God through Jesus, through, through God the Son, through God himself. 
this very one. And it's his sacrifice, his blood that was perfect. And so your conscience is cleansed from guilt. So you can come into my presence. And it's through him that you come. Do you remember? And I know you do because we've talked about this at least three times through Hebrews. But do you remember when Jesus was crucified, when he died, what happened in the temple? There was this curtain that separated the holy place and the most holy place. Now, in the holy place in the temple, the priests could go. In the most holy place, only the high priest once a year. And there was a curtain between the two. And miraculously, really, I mean, the the scripture just reports these things rather matter-of-factly. But I I don't don't know what the guy on the street that day, if Walter Cronkite had been there... You're an older crowd than second service. Some of you know who Walter Cronkite is. Uh, but sometimes I say these things and the second service kids look at me like... Uh, but anyway, um, thanks for being, thanks for at least acknowledging you know who Walter Cronkite is. Whoever's doing man-on-the-street interviews, you don't know what those are either. But uh, I wonder what that would have been like around the temple in that moment. Did you know that the, the veil, the curtain, separating the holy place from the most holy place has all of a sudden ripped in two? And, and now, if you, if you went in there, you could see in. What an amazing thing that would be. That's what happened, and that's the point, isn't it? And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. Come on. Come on, draw near. All of these centuries have been building up to this moment. All of these centuries have been pointing to this. Oh, they longed for what you now have. Oh, they drew near to God, but, but only through this priest, only through this animal. But now you see it's through Jesus, the very Son of God. His sacrifice is perfect. He's a human being. He's worth you. And therefore, your sins are covered. You know that. They're forgiven. You know that. His blood satisfied. You know that. And your conscience, therefore, is cleansed from its guilt. The veil is gone. You know that. And that's a visual to say, enter into the very presence of God through Jesus, you, every single one of you, to be a kingdom of Priests, he says, all of us enter into the very presence of God in Jesus. Now, how do we do that? The author of Hebrews says, we need to come with a true heart. Just simply meaning you can't con God. You can't play him. Uh, uh, Jesus quoted Isaiah concerning some of the religious leaders of his day like this in Mark chapter 7. He said, well, did Isaiah the prophet Prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold it to the tradition of men. See, listen, you've you got to come with a true heart. You've got to come really after God. If you're coming for another reason, then, then don't draw near. If you're, draw, if you're pretending like you're drawing near to impress another person... God's not going to be fooled by that. If you are drawing near because you think it's going to gain points in some sense with others or even with him, you're you're really fooling yourself. So no, no, no. If you understand who I am, God says, and you understand who you are, and you acknowledge your spiritual bankruptcy, and you acknowledge your need of me, he says, then come. Then come with a true heart in full assurance of faith, and in full assurance of faith in Christ, realizing you don't deserve to be in his presence. You're only in his presence because of what Christ has done. 
And when you come that way, his way, he says, ah, then come, then draw near in him. Because you see, in order to draw close to God, you have to be holy. And you might say, but I'm not. He says, okay, you're tracking with me. Then who is? Well, Jesus was holy. Ah, come in him. Come in him. Then I'll receive you. But what about my sins? Well, is there any who could take your sins? Is there any who could, who could, who could pay the penalty for your sins? Oh, yes, Jesus. Ah, then come in him. See, we come with a true heart, with full assurance of faith in Christ. And when we do that, we know that our conscience has been sprinkled, purified, cleansed. And we can enter his presence with confidence. If that isn't true, then there's no way to enter into the presence of God confidently. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll find from time to time, there were non-priests who entered into the holy place and offered sacrifice. And you know what happened to them? They fried along with their sacrifice. It was a dangerous thing to come into the presence of God. The author of Hebrews in the, one of the next sections we'll come to in the next month or two speaks of God as a consuming fire. And thus, if we come to him not cleansed, then you see we're in great danger But the author of Hebrews says, well then, come cleansed. (laughs) Come in Christ, come trusting in him. And then you'll be received and you can draw near, draw close to God. And you might say, well, how do I do that? How do I draw near to God? What's the way in which I do that? Most certainly by faith, obviously trusting. But we draw near to him uh, through prayer. For instance, again, the call to worship I read this morning out of Hebrews in chapter 4. We read this, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Well, we come in prayer. That's how we draw near. See, the very essence of prayer is an admittance of our own weakness. It's an admittance of our own need if we come with a true heart and full assurance of faith. <clears throat> it's saying, I need the strength of God for I, I don't have strength. I need the comfort of God because I'm weak and sad. And so we come to him in prayer the very nature of it being to draw near to God, to draw up close to God. Why? Because we need Him. And even as we come to the Scripture, even as we come meditating upon the Scripture, it's to draw near to God, to to cast our thoughts consciously upon Him, to think His thoughts, to think about Him, and thus draw near to Him. It's interesting. When we read accounts of people who have been in concentration camps or people who have been imprisoned, prisoners of war very often. You say, well, how did you make it? And they'll give various ways. But very often, one of their means of making it through that difficult situation are thoughts of people they love and thoughts of people who love them. And when they begin to cast their minds upon a husband or wife or child or mother or father, 
it's as if they're drawing near to that very person, even though they're so far away. Well, well that's a mental thing and a, and a good thing and a helpful psychological thing. But, but God's saying there's a real thing. Because while that person's in that concentration camp, the truth of the matter is their wife or husband or child or father or mother is still way over there. But he's saying, listen, when you cast your thoughts upon God, he's right there. It isn't that he's over there. You've drawn near if you've come to know him, if you've come to seek him, if you've come to receive from him. He's right there, the very presence of God. And you see, when we come to the scripture again, it's an admittance of our own weakness. We need his wisdom. It's an admittance of our own weakness. We need his strength. It's an admittance of our own weakness. We need his encouragement. And so we come to the scripture for all of that and we cast our thoughts upon God. And that's how we draw near to him in a moment. We'll draw near by way of this sacrament at which the Lord Jesus will be present. And you say, but, but that sounds so ordinary. I must confess that when I began to make the notes for this sermon and I wrote how to draw near, I wrote prayer, scripture, sacraments. And then I thought, I think I've said that before. (laughs) That's very ordinary. But the truth of the matter is, you see, this is to be ordinary. This is to be regular. There isn't to be a trick about this. This isn't to be special. This isn't to be different. This isn't to be twice a year. This isn't to be just on special occasions. This isn't just for special saints. This is for everybody who trusts. And so it's through the very ordinary things that God gives to us in his prayer and scripture and sacrament by way in which we come into his very presence and draw near to him. It should be ordinary. Some who have gone before us have written about this drawing near to God in the context of living in communion with God. John Owen is one. He's been dead a while. And he puts it uh, like this. He says, when I draw near to God, I find this. Christ is our best friend and ere long will be our only friend. I pray God with all my heart that I may be weary of everything else but conversation and communion with him. He, he, he's saying Christ is as a friend to me. Uh, he, he's enjoyable as a friend is enjoyable. He's accessible as a friend is accessible. He's faithful as a friend is faithful. He's approachable as a friend is approachable. And sometimes when we read that language, it sounds strange to us. Because we have Christ so lofty as well he is. The very son of God. Because there's something else, and God bids us come in Him to draw near to Him, to fellowship with Him, to be intimate with Him, to know Him. He's saying, come to me as a, as a friend. Another old dead guy, Thomas Goodwin, speaks of drawing near to God. He says, not only in times of trouble, but all the time. And here's how he puts it. He says, Mutual communion is the soul of all true friendship. And a familiar conversation with a friend has the greatest sweetness in it. So besides the common tribute of daily worship you owe to God, take occasion to come into his presence on purpose to have communion with him. That is to draw near to God. This is truly friendly. For friendship is most maintained and kept up by visits. 
these old dead guys just had a nice way of saying it. It didn't sound so unique to them because that's how they talked. But, but well, when we, how do you keep up a friendship? You keep up a friendship by visits. And then he goes on to say this, and these, the more free and less occasioned by urgent business they are, the more friendly they are. He says, let's not wait till there's particular business at hand. The way that you keep up a friendship is to visit in nice times, regular times. He says, we used to check our friends with the upbraiding. You only come to, uh, uh, you only come to me when you have some business. But when will you come just to see me? Yeah, do you have friends like that? They, you only come when there's a specific thing. And, or you only go to them when there's a specific thing. But he says, real friendship is when you just go to see them. You just show up. And we admit at the moment that we have very few friends. Isn't that true? But that's to be our relationship with God through Christ. Regular visits. Not just when we need something in an urgent kind of sense, but just always communication with him. To, to be conscious of his presence. And to be communing with him at all times. Goodwin goes on to say this. When thou comest into his presence, be telling him still how well thou lovest him. Labor to abound in expression of that kind, which, if there is nothing more taking with the heart of any friend than that. Visits with God. And again, common Sunday school kinds of things, but true. To cause your thoughts to be aware of the presence of God and to think upon him. So much so, John Owen, who I quoted first, I'm going to read you some John Owen. We have plenty of time. This is great. I'm going to read you this whole book. Um, I love the nervous laughter you have when I say things like that. Because you go, he's might. It's been difficult for me to, to, to just think about what to read and what not to read. But they had this sense of the very presence of God, Owen so much so, to say when you draw near to God, remember you're drawing near to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so he would take time to consider each the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, and to draw near to them, and, and to then out of that form relationship. And when he thought of the Father, what he thought most of was love. The fact that the Father loves, and the Father loves so much, that he would, before the beginning of time, plan a way that he would be glorified by blessing people who would know him. And even ordaining sin, he would send his Son who then would die for these very ones to express the love of the Father to them so that they would know the deepest reality of the love of God. And Owen would think of that and say, and I'm the recipient of that. And as he described the love of God to him, this is how he put it. He said, the love of God is a love of rest, contentment, and delight. We learn a great deal about love just from those words. He says, love... Is, is this combination of rest in that love, being content in that love, and delighting in that love. And he quotes Zephaniah 3.17 uh, with a twist on one of the lines that we sing often as a song. He writes, he that as God will rest in his love, the way we sing it is, he will quiet us in his love. Another way the Hebrew could be translated is simply that God will be quiet in his love. 
And you say, well, how can anyone be quiet in his love? What does that mean? He says, literally, the Hebrew is, he shall be silent because of his love. To rest of his contentment is expressed by being silent, that is, without grumbling and complaining. Because God's love is so full, so perfect, so absolute, it will not allow him to complain of anything in those whom he loves. So he is silent. See, Owen had this sense of the love of God so much that he said, when I go into his presence, he's not angry. He's not complaining about who I am and what I've done. He's pleased that I'm there. And you say, well, well, how could he be so? Because you've come in Christ, you see. The very object of his delight. The one who has cleansed you. So of what is he going to complain when you come into his presence if all is forgiven? It says, when God is said to rest in his love, it means he's so satisfied with the object of his love and will not seek for a more satisfying object of his love. In other words, he's perfectly content with you and with me. And he's not going to look to somebody else to love other than us. We're in his presence. And he's going to love us. He's not thinking about someone else he might love more. He's not thinking of someone else he'd rather love or someone else who'd rather be there. How loved are you by any other person? (laughs) When you think of love like that, who else rests like that and is content to just love you and not think of anybody else they could love more? But God is like that, he says, because he loves us in Christ. And therefore, when we come into his presence, that's what we find. And you see, as we draw near to him, that's who we're drawing near to. And as we begin to cast our thoughts there, that's the blessing of being close to God. He said, his love will make its home in the soul in which it is fixed forever. This verse also shows God as delighting in the object of his love. He rejoices as one that is fully satisfied in the object he has chosen to love. And therefore, his conclusion concerning the love of God is this. He says, Consider that it is the greatest desire of God the Father that you should have loving fellowship with him. His greatest desire is that you should receive him into your soul as one full of love, tenderness, and kindness to you. Flesh and blood is apt to think hard thoughts of God, to think that he's always angry and incapable of being pleased with his sinful creatures, that it is not for them to draw near to him, and that there is nothing in the world more desired than never to come into his presence. That's how we think. He recalls the parable of the talents, where one of those who had received the talents said, I knew that you were a hard master. He says, that's how we think of God. Very often. But he goes on to say this. There is nothing more grievous to the Lord, nothing that serves the purposes of Satan more than such thoughts as these. Satan rejoices when he can fill your heart with such hard thoughts of God. Satan's purpose from the beginning was to, fulfill, was to fill mankind with lies about God. He led our first parents into hard thoughts of God. Has God so said? Has he threatened you with death? He knows well enough that if you eat of its fruit, it will be much better for you. With these lies, he succeeded in overthrowing all mankind at once. And remembering this great victory, he readily uses the same method with us. Now it is exceedingly grievous to the Spirit of God to be so slandered in the hearts of those whom he dearly loves. How he pleads with his people. What iniquity have you seen in me, he asks. Have I been a wilderness to you or a land of darkness? But the people respond, the Lord has forsaken me and my Lord has forgotten me. And see the Lord's reply. 
Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget you, yet I will not forget you, says the Lord. The Father knows that his people can bring no greater hurt to his loving heart than to have such hard thoughts of him. He knows full well what fruits this bitter root is likely to bear. He knows what alienations of heart, what drawing back, what unbelief this bitter root will bring forth. And worst of all, he knows how it leads us to avoid walking with him. How unwilling is a child to come into the presence of an angry father. Consider then that receiving the father as one who loves us, gives him the honor he desires and is exceedingly pleasing to him. The scripture sets out his love for us in a noteworthy way. He commends his love toward us. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Why then this foolishness? Why are we afraid to have good thoughts of God? Is it too hard to think of God as good, gracious, tender, loving, kind? And I speak of saints. How easy we find it to think God is hard, austere, severe, unable to be pleased and fierce, with which are the worst characteristics of men and therefore most hated by God. How easily Satan deceives us. Was it not his purpose from the beginning to inject such thoughts of God into our hearts? Assure yourself then that there is nothing more acceptable to the Father than for us to keep our hearts filled with him as the eternal source of all that rich grace which flows out to sinners in the blood of Christ. Don't you want to know God like that? No one said he came to know God like that. Through careful meditations and relentless prayer. He said he cast his mind upon God as he's revealed in the scripture, not as we may think of him, but he's revealed to us in the scripture through Christ, the great lover of our souls. And he came to know God like that. And he said when he did, and as he did, then he began to love God. It was no longer a functional relationship. You save my soul, I'll believe in you. It was, you love me, I love you. And he began to rest, as he said, in his love for God, that he would be content in God, that he would look to no other to satisfy him other than God, that he wouldn't look beyond God or apart from God, but that God would be the very object of his affection. He would rest there, be contented there, and delight in God and all that God had for him, and delight in God alone. He says that's what it is to draw near to the Father. To draw near to the Son is to think of the Son and his wonderful grace that he bestows. It's, it's sovereign and it's free. And it's unmerited, of course, because how can we ever deserve all that Christ has done for us? And he says if ever you worry about this grace of Christ, Think of the alternative. He writes this about Christ. He says, The souls of men naturally seek something which will bring rest and peace of mind, something that will satisfy and delight them. He says there are two ways that men go about trying to get what they're looking for. Some set before them a certain aim. Some seek pleasure and others profit. In religion, they seek acceptance with God. Others seek some purpose in life, but without any certainty of finding it. They try one path and another. And though weary with seeking and never finding, yet they refuse to give up. Whatever condition you may be, either in greediness, chasing after some futile secular or religious aim, or wandering about in your foolish imaginations, succeeding only in driving yourself to despair, compare what you're aiming at or what you're doing 
with what you already heard of Jesus Christ. If what you're seeking is like Christ or equal to him, then reject Christ as one who has nothing desirable in him. But if you find that all your life is full of foolishness and troubles compared to Christ, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And why your labor for that which does not satisfy? He says, compare all of your comings and goings and all of your desires and all of your ambitions with that which is true in us in Christ. He brings us to God. Where else can you find that? Who else has done that for you? He says, draw near to him. And then the Holy Spirit, who is the one who is our great comforter. Do you ever think of these things on good days that you have one who is with you who will comfort you and help you and encourage you and strengthen you and be with you and enable you to persevere at all times? He's there with you. He says, draw close to him. Draw near to him. Let your thoughts go there. When you get up in the morning and you face a day that might be fearful, remember the very presence of God is with you as you draw near to the Spirit of God. He's the one who will remind you of all the things that Christ has done. He's the one who will bring the Father and Son close to you. He's the one who will comfort and encourage you. He's the one who will form Christ in you. And thus he says, draw near. Draw near to God. Cast your mind upon him. And we have it here. In God's kindness to us. That we would not neglect this great salvation. He gives to us this means of grace, this sacrament to us, that enables us to cast our thoughts upon Jesus and to fellowship with him, to draw near. Now, of course, we can only do that with a true heart. Again, you can't con God, you can't fake him out. You might remember that when the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, they were abusing coming to this table in ways that we can only can't even imagine, I suppose. And that's when the Apostle Paul gave us this way of having the Lord's Supper, of taking bread and juice and eating and drinking. And He said there were some in those days that were so abusing the table, so not recognizing the body of the Lord, that when they came to this table, they died. And you think, well, that's a very dangerous thing to do then, isn't it, to come to this table? And of course the answer is no, it isn't dangerous at all. If you come in Jesus, if you come with a true heart, if you come believing, if you come confessing your own spiritual bankruptcy, if you come saying, no, I need him, it's not dangerous at all. It's, 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 the, most, it's the safest thing to do, to enter into the presence of God through Jesus. So he says, come. You remember the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he... He broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is given for you in the same way he took the cup. And again, after giving thanks, he gave this to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to draw near to me in this meal. I want you to cast your mind upon me. I want you to remember me. I want you to think upon me. I want you to think upon this grace. And as Owen would said, even if you wish, compare me to anything else. Any other pursuit, any other ambition, any other promise. He says, here's what I offer you. 
forgiveness of sins, eternal life, entrance into the very presence of God for all eternity, to know God as the one who loves you, to know the Spirit of God as the very one who comforts and strengthens and transforms you. If it wouldn't sound so flippant, I would say, if you can do better than that, then do better than that. But of course, you can't do better than that. That's the very promise of the very Son of God. And at this moment, we have the opportunity, the advantage to take of this table to draw near to Christ and through Him to the Father and Spirit. To know the very love of God. To rejoice in that. And to love Him in return. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray now that you would take this bread and juice, set it aside for this purpose of us drawing near to Christ and therefore drawing near to Father and Spirit as well, to draw near to God through him. I pray you would enable us to do that, that we would cast our attention upon you, that we would come not with hypocrisy, not pretending, but with a true heart, professing, confessing our need for him and our need for forgiveness of sins. Confessing our weakness to say that we need God. And so I pray that you would enable us to come with consciences cleansed by the blood of Christ, with actions washed by the blood of Christ, that we might come confidently into your presence and in this moment, that you would meet us here as we draw near, that we might know the love of the Father, the grace through the Son, and the comfort and power of the Holy Spirit, and that we may feast upon that. And Father, that that would strengthen us for the days ahead. Set aside this bread and juice, Father, for that purpose. In Jesus' name. Amen. I remind you that this table is not the table of grace, Evangelical Presbyterian Church, but it's the table of the Lord, and He invites to it all those who desire to draw near to God through Him. All those who understand themselves to be sinners in His sight without hope, except in His sovereign mercy, and to receive and depend upon Jesus Christ as He's offered to us in the Gospel that is freely the Savior of sinners, and who desire to live as one who follows after Christ. That's true of you. Let me invite you to come. Uh, these two sections down this aisle to my left, these two down the aisle to my right. Take a piece of bread, uh, dip it in the cup, knowing, saying to yourself, I'm drawing near to God. Please come. <clears throat> and I remind you that <clears throat> the response to our benediction is to sing the doxology together. Remember, too, there are elders who are available to pray with you in the office area, so please take advantage of that as well. Please receive this as God's benediction now to Him who is able to keep you.